Well, open your Bibles, please, to Luke chapter 9. If you're using the Pew Bible, you can find it on page 867, I think. The last time we were together, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at Luke 9, verse 28 and following. And there we saw Jesus go up to a mountaintop to pray. He took three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, his, his closest confidants, these three who formed a kind of inner circle with him. And while, we, we, while they were there on that mountain, Jesus' divine glory was manifested. The majesty, the greatness, the grandeur of God was revealed. It, it shone forth. And Luke says that the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. In Matthew's account, he says that Christ's face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. And Moses and Elijah appeared with him also in glory. And the three of them talked about the, the work of redemption that the Father had given Christ to do. They spoke of, of how the glory of God would soon be displayed in yet, in yet another way. As Jesus, the Son of God and, and the Son of Man, would give his life as a ransom to redeem a people for himself. To the praise of God's glorious grace, as Paul tells us in Ephesians 1. Then Jesus and Moses and Elijah and Peter and James and John, they were enveloped in a cloud. And from that cloud, a voice rang out. And that voice was the voice of God the Father. And that voice declared, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. The father giving his affirmation to his son, his beloved son, in whom he is well pleased. The, the Father declaring that, that Jesus is the anointed one, his Son, his Messiah, his Christ, and the only hope for sinners, the only one in heaven or on earth by whom sinners such as you and I can be set free from our sin and our guilt and our brokenness and our need. Today's passage picks up at that point. Our sermon passage today will be Luke chapter 9, verses 37 through 45. Let's turn our attention again to the reading of God's holy, living, and inerrant word. And I want to encourage you, please keep your Bibles open throughout our message today. Luke writes in verse 37 and says, On the next day, when they had come down from the mountain... A great crowd met him. And behold, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth, and it shatters him and will hardly leave him. The man said, I beg your disciples to cast it out. But they could not. Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? And then he told the man, Bring your son here. While he was coming, Luke says, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him. 
But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. But while they were all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand the saying, and it was concealed from them so that they might not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this is God's word for you today. The grass may wither and the flower may fade, but the word of the Lord shall endure forever. Pray with me again. Lord God, reveal your glory to us again this day, we pray. Reveal yourself, Lord, through this portion of your word and through your Holy Spirit working together. And Lord, usher us, deliver us into a greater degree of freedom as you do that, Lord, we pray. Amen. So Jesus and Peter and James and John, they they descend from the mountaintop. You might remember that Peter wanted to stay on that mountaintop, basking in the glory of that moment when when the majesty of God in Christ had been revealed. You might remember that, and we see that in verse 33, if you look at that, in that comment that Peter made when the glory of Christ was shown, when he said, Master, it's good that we're here. Let's make three tents. Let's stay here. Let's make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Peter wanted to stay on the mountaintop. He had this this glorious mountaintop experience, basking in the majesty and the glory of the Son and of the Father. And it's understandable that he wanted to do that. Perhaps you've had mountaintop experiences in your life as well. And thank God for them all. But we can't spend our whole life living on top of the mountain. We can't spend our whole life, sadly, not in this life. Oh, yes, in the life to come, uh, spending our whole life in those blessed moments. Not all of the Christian life is a mountaintop experience. But sometimes, even most times, it's less glorious than that. You know, it's not hard to delight in God in those glorious moments. But what about in common, everyday moments? The the mundane moments. Even in discouraging moments. As Jesus and Peter and James and John descend the mountain, they they come into a scene that's, that's anything but glorious. Luke says that a great crowd had formed there. And Luke introduces us to a man. Look at verse 38. Luke says, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you, look at my son, for he's my only child. Can you hear the desperation in his voice? Is that a sound that has come out of your mouth before? Are there times that you have cried out to the Lord, Teacher, Jesus, Lord, help me. And you're desperate for help. Now, now why is 
this man so desperate? Well, Luke tells us, look at verse 39. The father goes on saying, my son has a spirit, meaning a demon inside of him. And it seizes him and he cries out and, he, and it convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and it shatters him. And it will hardly leave him, meaning that it hardly gives him any rest. It torments him day and night. Do you know what it's like to be shattered by a sorrow, a difficulty in life? Do you know what it's like to to feel a sense of torment that you don't know if it will ever leave you? Well, if so, friends, read on and trust in the one who is able to deliver us and free us from that which torments us, from that which threatens to shatter us. In Matthew's account, he says that that the demon would throw this boy into a fire or into water. Again, indeed, a desperate situation. The man explains in verse 40, I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they couldn't. And you know, I wonder if, if maybe this might be the reason why there's such a large crowd that's gathered there at the base of the mountain. I wonder, we don't know, this passage doesn't tell us, but I wonder if maybe the disciples were there trying to cast this demon out. And in the, in the demon's rejection of the disciples' command, was, was there some kind of dramatic and chaotic scene? Perhaps, again, Scripture doesn't tell us. As I've mentioned, this man is a desperate man. But this is also a wise man man. And why do I say that? Well, again, in a moment, we'll see. This is a wise man and friends, we would do well to follow his example. When when faced with a problem that seems can't be solved, what does this man do? He goes to Jesus and he makes his request of him. And we would do well to do that very same thing. Brothers and sisters, beseech the Lord of mercy. Like we were directed in our assurance of pardon this morning from Hebrews 4. Since we have such a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Don't lose heart. Don't lose faith. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace so that we might receive grace and mercy in our time of need. And what does it look like to do that? Well, it looks like what this man does here. He goes to Jesus and he takes his request to the one who is the Lord of mercy, the Lord of grace, Jesus Christ. How will Jesus respond We'll look at verse 41, and, and we see that Jesus responds with something that's a bit of an interesting response. Not a typical way that you might see Jesus or might expect Jesus to respond. Jesus, in verse 41, responds saying, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Now, what's up with that? What kind of response is that 
to this desperate man's request. First, let me ask you this. To whom do you think Jesus was directing that rebuke? Was it to the Father? I don't think that's the case because here we see the Father take his request to Jesus and he he does so with a demonstration of respect. Teacher, I beg you. Was Jesus' comment a a criticism of the crowd that was gathered there that, that day? You know, sometimes Jesus does criticize a crowd, especially when it may be filled with Pharisees or scribes, when they're trying to catch Jesus in his words. But that doesn't really seem to be the case here. So to whom is Jesus directing these words, O faithless and twisted generation? How long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? I'd suggest that Jesus is saying this to his disciples. Look at verse 1 of chapter 9. Luke says, Jesus called the twelve together, the twelve disciples, and he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Jesus had had just earlier, days earlier, sent the disciples out with power and with authority to do this very thing that they couldn't do today. He gave them power and authority to go out and cast out demons. But they couldn't do that on this occasion. Why? Well, Mark in his gospel account of this event actually tells us that exact reason. In Mark 9, 28, the disciples asked Jesus why they weren't able to cast out the demon. And Jesus says to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. And in Matthew's account, in Matthew 17, 20, Jesus tells them that they weren't able to cast out the demon because of their little faith. Probably, or at least it may be, the disciples may have been a bit more confident in themselves and in their own abilities than they should have. It it may be that they were trusting in themselves and their power rather than recognizing that they could do nothing apart from the Lord and from the sovereign will of God. Jesus gives his rebuke and, and then he prepares to rebuke the demon. Christ tells the man, bring your son here. And then Luke says in verse 42, that while he was coming to Jesus, the demon threw the boy onto the ground and convulsed him again. This demon will not give up easily. The forces of evil do not give up easily. They won't give up without a fight. But who is their fight with now? Once they only had to overpower this young boy. Then they had to fight the disciples. And although Christ had commissioned them with power and authority, they weren't particularly adept at exercising their power and authority. And their faith was weak. And their faith was prayerless. But now? Now, who's this demon's fight against? No less than the Lord of glory himself. With with whom does this demon now face? 
He now faces the one on whom the, the spirit of the sovereign Lord rests upon. He now faces the one who's been anointed to proclaim good news to the poor and to set at liberty those who are oppressed to set the captives free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, to announce that the kingdom of God has come. Luke tells us in the second half of verse 42 that Jesus then rebuked the unclean spirit in the boy, and he healed him. Christ drove the demon out of the boy. And then Luke says, Christ gave him back to his father. Where the disciples failed, Jesus succeeds. And friends, where you and I may fail, the Lord Jesus will succeed. Where the disciples and and you and I are faithless, Jesus Christ is ever faithful. Like the disciples, our faith can often be so small. But Jesus is not small. Jesus is is a savior and he is a big savior a sufficient savior our faith is small and our sin is great but although our sin is great god's salvation and his grace and his mercy are all the more greater for he's able to save to the uttermost satan and his minions are powerful but who are they up against now Jesus, God the Son, who along with the Father and the Spirit is Elohim, the Creator God, unmatched in power and in authority. And Jesus, the eternal Word of God made flesh, the second person of the Godhead, now come in the person of Jesus Christ, now reveals His power and His authority over this created being, this demon. And Jesus, the Creator, speaks And the creature, the demon, responds. It submits to Christ's voice. You'll remember on the mountain the day before, the voice of the Father spoke from the cloud. And do you remember what that voice said? Verse 35, it said, This is my Son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And here we see this demon do exactly that. It has no choice but to do so, to listen to Jesus and to obey his voice. Jesus exercises his authority over the demonic realm, and the demonic realm submits to his authority. Here we remember Luke 4, 30, 36. Who is this with power and authority that he commands the unclean spirits and they obey and come out? Let me ask you this. How do you respond when the voice of Jesus speaks to you? How, how do you respond when the voice of Jesus speaks to you in the pages of Scripture? Are you attuned to that voice? Do you seek to hear the voice of Jesus? Do you spend time in his word? Do you recognize the authority of that word? The disciples were lacking in prayer. And that same can be said of us. 
And if you might find yourself lacking in prayer these days or or lacking in spending time in the Word, let me commend to you the book that we have there at the door, that book face-to-face, that daily devotional, which is a way to enter into Scripture and then to spend time with the Lord. Please take that on your way out. It's our gift to you. After Christ healed the boy, Luke says that Jesus gave him back to his father. He restored him to his father. That's what Jesus does. Jesus brings restoration. He turns back the effects of the fall. He he brings restoration where once there was only devastation. And like with this boy, Christ brings freedom where there was once opposition. He did that for this boy And he can do that for you and I as well. He can heal those broken places. He can restore that which has been lost. He can bring freedom where now there's opposition. Oppression. You know, we all have those broken places in our lives. We we all have aspects of our lives where, where the Lord desires to bring greater healing and greater freedom. Ask the Lord to reveal those areas of your life where you're not yet walking in that full freedom and healing that you know the Lord desires for you to have and that's available to you. And if that's something that you're not quite sure how you might be able to do that, Amy and I would be happy and honored to walk with you as you seek that healing, that freedom. Please, in Engage us in conversation about that or or your elders. To the Lord bringing freedom and restoration to this boy and his father, Luke in verse 43 tells us that to all of this, all were astonished at the majesty of God. I've noted many times during our study of the Gospel of Luke that you can think of this book of the Bible as the Gospel of Astonishment. Luke frequently speaking this way of the people's response to the works of Christ. And we see that response here again today. The majesty of God has been revealed. The day prior, Peter, James, and John were astonished as the majesty of God was revealed to them in the transfiguration of Jesus on that mountain. And now today, that that astonishment at the glory of God in Christ, that isn't just restricted to those three anymore. But now it's being revealed here to all those who are part of this crowd, to the formerly demon-possessed boy, to his father, to the other nine disciples, to all those in the crowd. Luke then makes a transition from the glorious to an ominous. And I say that because of verse 43. Look at that if you would. Luke says, as they were all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, let these words sink into your ears. The son of man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. This speaking, of course, of what would soon await him in Jerusalem. Christ had mentioned this earlier in verse 22 when he told the disciples, the Son of Man must suffer many things 
and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And that truth, that reality, that that destiny that awaited Christ in Jerusalem, friends, that's what we've seen shown forth in this holy meal that's been set before you. Luke says in verse 49 that, that the disciples, in, in verse 45, that the disciples couldn't understand this thing that Christ was speaking of when he said that he would soon be delivered into the hands of men. They couldn't grasp the concept of what he was talking about. Mysteriously, Luke even says that this was concealed from them so that they might not perceive them and that they were afraid to ask what he was talking about. They were afraid to ask what he was talking about. Because Jesus was saying these dreadful, fearful things. Maybe they didn't ask because they weren't completely altogether clueless. Maybe they didn't want to think anymore about the thought that seemed unthinkable to them. That Jesus, God's anointed, would be killed. Luke says that the disciples couldn't understand what Jesus was talking about when he prepared them for how his life would soon be required of him. Can you? Do you understand that? The glory and majesty of Christ was was revealed this day when he delivered this demon-possessed boy and, and restored him to his father. The the glory and majesty of Jesus was revealed the day before on the mountain with Peter and James and John. But Scripture tells us that the glory of Christ is most revealed in his work upon the cross. When he gave his life as a substitute for ours. When, When he gave his life as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And when his glory was revealed again, when three days later he was raised again from death to life. Has the glory and majesty of Jesus and his cross and his empty grave, has that been revealed to you? Has has your need for the saving work of Jesus been revealed to you? Has has the fact that the right penalty for your sins and my sins, has the fact that the right penalty for those sins is death, has that been revealed to you? Has the biblical truth that all must give an account for how they've lived their lives been revealed to you? And that Jesus Christ is the only hope for sinners such as you and I. For those of us to whom that has been revealed, for those of us who are trusting in the saving work of Jesus, has the Lord revealed to you your ongoing need for him, your ongoing desperate need for him, and his restoring, healing work, which you and I are still in need of. Friends, ask the Lord to continue to reveal himself to you. Ask him to continue to reveal those areas of brokenness and oppression that still might remain in your life as they still do in mine. 
And like the Father in, their, in our passage today, take your request to Jesus and ask Him, beg Him to free and to heal and to deliver and to fully restore you as He did this boy. Boldly approach His throne of grace with confidence so that you can receive that grace and mercy that you need. Pray with me again, please. Lord God, we thank you for, your, for revealing your glory in this passage. And in that moment 2,000 years ago. Lord, would you again continue to reveal yourself to us today. Continue to reveal your glory. Lord, where do we need to receive more healing? Where do we need to receive more restoration? Lord, for some of us, it may be that that's for a first time of coming to you in faith. You having revealed our need for you and, and your sufficiency is the only hope for lost sinners. For others, Lord, maybe we know you as Savior, but we need to know you more now as healer and deliverer and restorer. Lord, heal and deliver and free and restore us in all of the ways and in all of those places that we need. Amen.